Okay, finally, finally, finally. Woo, that was a pain. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. We are a little bit late today. Apologies right up front. Sorry about that. I am on the new computer. I don't know if this will look different to you because shouts to Comcast, who were supposed to come last Wednesday, didn't come, didn't call, didn't ring the doorbell, didn't leave a note, nothing. So they're actually going to come now on Friday. But the new computer is up and running. This will not be even my main computer going forward for streaming, but it's the newest one that I have. And so there were all kinds of bugs trying to get it going the first time for this chat. So I apologize, but we got it going. Let's do this. As you might know, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. We normally go for a little under 90 minutes. That's the same today, but even less than that. So we'll go for about 70 or 5 or 77 minutes or so. We'll talk about, let's see, UFC 220, Saturday. Bellator 192, Saturday. We got the Jones polygraph. We got Conor McGregor apparently maybe being stripped on Saturday. We've got... Habib and Tony, oh my God, we got so much stuff to get to. So we'll do that. You can get your questions in on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. You can also participate. You can shoot me a tweet at LThomasNews, and I'll get to them at the last 15 minutes of this. Uh, you can use the hashtag chat wrapper. So I don't know how this looks. I hope it looks a little bit better. I'm not expecting a dramatic upgrade, only because the only thing that improved is the computer, not the internet itself. But um, here we go. Let's Let's hope that's a little bit better, I guess. Maybe. We'll see. All right. Uh, yes, Danny. Fire now. There we go. Okay. Let's get to the first question, and I'll try and rifle through these without going too fast, but without going too slow either, so we can get enough of them in. Whew. Good Lord. Modern computing, y'all. Your boy ain't built for it. All right. UFC 220, true or false? It's a fun way to start the chat. All right. Uh, question one, Miocic and Ganu doesn't reach a third round. I think that has to be true, right? I mean, you get these occasional ones, like you get Stipe and JDS one. Didn't, well, how far did that one go? Right. That one went to what? At least the fourth, if not the full distance, I believe. Um, let's see. Stipe, Miocic. Can't remember exactly how far that went. Uh, let me see here. The first JDS fight. Yeah, it went to full five fight of the night so you get the and even the mark hunt fight and that was a beating that should have been stopped but occasionally you'll get these two heavy hitters and they'll go the distance um or longer than you expect and if stipe is able to effectively wrestle that might also be the case but i just feel like even with that i mean the big the big thing about Inganu is if he lands forget about it the big question for me is i've watched some of his training footage and even some of his like supposed takedown defense that's supposed to be really good against alistair over him if you guys watch the ufc 220 countdown looked a little bit unpolished to me which is to be expected the guy hasn't had that long of a time in there um so to me it's like is he going to get taken down well it depends how stipe fights but like if stipe really is dedicated let's say to the takedown is he going to get it yes the question then becomes uh can he get it again um what if he gets hurt right so for me it's like there's so much power here even on the ground and some liability but not so much it's hard to exactly articulate, but suffice to say, I just don't feel like Enganu, like Emil Weber Mech was able to hang on against um, this past Sunday against Kamaru Usman because he had really sort of enough in the tank there to really, from a cardio standpoint, push himself. And I realized it was only a three round contest, but nevertheless, had just enough defensive wrestling to keep Kamaru working. I'm not sure um, Francis has that. He might. I, I, don't, I don't think so, but I guess we'll see. And so my hunch is that if he goes to the ground, he might survive a little bit, but he'll eventually just get overwhelmed. And if it's on the feet, you know, I mean, 
either of those guys can put either of their lights out. So that's so to me, th- past the third round, probably not. If I had to pick true false, I will say doesn't reach does not reach the third round. Is the question? So I'll say true. You said doesn't even reach the third round. It might reach the third, but you get the idea. Uh, Cormier Uzdemir doesn't reach the third round. I will say false. I think Uzdemir has if he loses, still has enough to hang on. Uh, if KO'd by Uzdemir, DC will retire from MMA. Wow, that's a good question, man. Hmm. I'll say false, but he'll probably be very close at that point. Right? He might want one more shot at it to get redemption or something. But man, he might. If he gets like brutally finished, where they have to like bring in like the stretcher and something like that, you know, his whole family's there. Maybe then. Maybe then. Let's see. I keep blowing me up. Okay. Um, but man, that's a great, that's a great question. No one's really talking about Uzdemir is out here putting people's lights out. What if he does put Daniel's lights out, you know, in a really bad way, things could get dicey. It's a great, it's a, it's, it's a really important question to consider Uh bonus. True false from UFC St. Louis. The damage taken from the Swanson fight was more than a minor factor in why Choi lost to Stevens. I'll read it one more time. The damage from the Swanson fight was more than a minor factor in why Choi. No, false. That is not true. I just don't think it's true. Okay. So please, I would highly, <laughs> please, Jesus, have these people listen to me when I beg them to watch it. And some listen, and I do appreciate it. But for the ones who don't, show them the way, Lord. Please watch my Monday morning analyst. We talk a little bit about this. So if you're watching that fight, why did the first round look different than the second round? Here's why. If 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 um, Choi is out there jabbing and then one twoing and then like three twoing, right, um, or two threeing, whatever. If he's really working his hands in a sort of steady, consistent way, minding his distance, chopping with the leg kick, and then as Stevens blitzes him, just gets out of the way. Boy, he wins that fight every time, right? Which is why he won that first round pretty cleanly. Um, he's got good combinations, good shot selection, good accuracy. You know about his power. You know about his hand speed. And he was really good about minding his distance. Here is the problem. Why did he lose in the second round? This is a point that needs to get brought up more. And I've been trying to make it. And your boy, you know, they, they don't want to hear me, but I, it's something to say about this. I'm sorry. Um, how many times have you heard an analyst, forget about me, but I, I bring it up all the time too. How many times have you heard an analyst talk about the fact that when you get pushed, if you look at this, if you look at the octagon, there are two concentric octagons inside of it with like black tape or at least a black line. And they're, and they're very close in space together, right? And they're closer to the fence than they are the center. How many times have you heard analysts say things go badly for one reason or another when a fighter gets backed up behind those two black lines. How many times have you heard that? You have probably heard that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is a consistent theme that shows up. What happened in the first round was that Duho Choi did a pretty good job of backing up, but he was backing up at a lot of linear paths. So I was trying to figure out what exactly the stance switching of Stevens was doing, and I'm sure it had other purposes than this one, but one of the major ones was Stevens would blitz, and then in the course of blitzing, as he's moving, switch stances, which would prolong the linear path backing up, right? And at times he was doing it at different angles, but what he eventually was able to do is once he began to get, uh, he got kicked in the face and then they began to trade a little bit. But from that, what you noticed was that Stevens was able to push him back in straight lines, switch stances in between to keep pushing him back, to prolong the linear path 
and retreat. And once he got Duho Choi behind the two black lines, it was a completely different ball game. From there, he was able to basically just tee off on him. At that point, Duho Choi retreated to sort of a more familiar version of himself, a more uh, instinctual version where, you know, he's just trying to slug it out with Jeremy. And that's, you know, he could win that way too. It's just not going to be as easy for him. He lost that fight because he got outsmarted. No one wants to say that, but it's it's true. Or, or at a bare minimum, Jeremy Stevens used a smart game plan and sort of veteran experience about how to deal with a younger guy and make him commit to old mistakes, right? At a bare minimum, that's what you want to say. But but Stevens was ultimately the better fighter. Duho Choi has this hype around him, and I think a lot of it is deserved. Um, but he clearly has some issues about adhering to a game plan and having the skills necessary to keep composure under fire. And this is the other point I want to go back to have being behind the two black lines. Because now if you're Duho Choi and you can back up away from somebody, well, on that, if there's open space, he's going to beat Jeremy Stevens. But when his choices are, I can go left, I can go right, and now I'm stuck in this space, well, then he turns into a completely different fighter. Jeremy Stevens, once he got him there, it all changed. Go back and watch the fight. Look how different it looks when Stevens is on, or rather, when Choi is on one side of the two black lines versus the other. Watch how his movement changes. Watch how his shot selection changes. Watch how everything changes when he gets pushed back there. That is the he got he got outsmarted. I don't know what else to tell you. Everyone's like, "Oh, Duho Choi is the next big thing." He might be, he might be, but he's got some work to do, and and he wasn't really ready for a guy like Stevens. Not not merely because of his power, but because of his veteran savviness as well. Now, here's the other point about this that also needs to be reconciled. We talked a lot about like what really this whole Mayweather McGregor thing. Like, what really is the difference in boxing? And I, you know, we're talking about people saying, "Well, you don't have to train if you're McGregor. You don't have to train jujitsu and wrestling. You just focus on boxing." And I mentioned before that that was just addition by subtraction. Because, yes, you're taking away those things, but there's, A, other components to pure boxing that don't exist in those contexts that you train in normally for MMA purposes. And, B, there's also a level of skill refinement that is significantly higher that, as you saw, makes it very, very hard to win. Uh, okay, here's a great example of it. In a, uh, in, a, in a ring, you're basically in a square. You have four right angles, each of them 90 degrees. Yes, that is what you have. Okay. In the course of that, you have to be able to move around the ring and guide yourself in a way where you don't get trapped against the ropes. Now, eventually, even if you're really good, somebody who's a very good pressure fighter like a Triple G is going to just back you up. It's just it's impossible to avoid it in some level. But I have to tell you, if boxers had an octagon to deal with where they could escape one way or the other, they would be in heaven. Because that is a if you have this much space and now you have like that, you have opened up the exit angles dramatically. Here is a great example. Ring generalship in boxing is significantly better than cage generalship in MMA on average for two reasons. One, it has to be because they are working in boxing in a significantly more confined space. That's the first problem. And the other problem, of course, is that they're able to devote way more attention to it. They have way more funds for it. They start earlier, all the things we talked about before. But that ability to escape at an angle, like I'm doing the Wu-Tang thing here, but you, you get the, uh, Wu-Tang, you get the idea. They have they have exit angles like this as opposed to exit angles like that. Um, and it creates for much better footwork, much more dynamic ability to get off in that boxing case, off the ropes, out of a corner. Now, sometimes guys want to retreat against the ropes, like the rope-a-dope. Some guys, they want to retreat to the corner. You saw, um, to an extent, you saw Floyd do that against Cotto. But generally speaking, most boxing coaches are going to tell you, get your back off the ropes and get your back out of the corner because bad things are going to happen to you there. 
here is a case where I'm not even picking on Choi because this happens to so many fighters. They get put behind the two black lines, and then their game completely disappears. That should tell you a lot about their ability to exact cage generalship, their ability to move around. Footwork is not just switching stances or exiting off at an angle from a punch or you know staying on the balls of your feet like Frankie Edgar, and you're constantly moving. All the, it's, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot of evasion as well. Holly Holm ducking under and then turning against Ronda. Now, Ronda made it easy on her, but you get the idea. Exiting at those kinds of angles. Um, now, yes, there's more weapons. You can get kicked in the head. You know, you can get taken down. It, it, it adds some complications there. I'm merely saying your game shouldn't disappear just because you get pushed back. You should be able to right the ship again. And I think so you're asking me, like, you know, was it good for him to be fighting a guy like Stevens after fighting a guy like Swanson? Probably not. I think Duho Choi is only 26 years old. I do think he has a bright future. And I think it's pretty clear at this point, going up against these battering rams that they keep giving him, that's going to cause problems. But I don't think that's why he lost. There was It didn't look to me like he was out there dueling and his game looked the same and he just couldn't take a shot or he just withered under the pressure. No, his game ch changed. As soon as he had the pressure, as soon as his back was here, it was game over. All right. Uh, Steve Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. I don't want to jump the queue, uh, but let's ask me who he thinks is, will win on Saturday night, Francis Ngannou or Stipe Miocic. Like you, I don't have the first effing clue. I don't know. I don't know. If you're asking me two weeks ago who I think, I thought Francis was just going to run over him, to be honest. You're asking me this week as I speak to you right now into this microphone, I kind of feel like Stipe might have something for him. You know, I, I, I honestly, honestly don't know. I guess if you're asking me, you're putting me on the spot, I guess I'll say Stipe, uh, but not with a great de degree of confidence. You might have a strong degree of confidence. You might have a great reason to believe in him, and I'm not here to talk you in it, into it even further or talk you out of it for another reason. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's a really hard fight to call. I just feel like, on average, in general, skills win fights, and while power is sort of a skill in a way, or at least the ability to consistently deliver it is, um, and it's certainly a weapon, I think Stipe has more skills. So, um, but here's the thing. Even if Francis loses, I don't think that's the end of, like, I think a better question to, would be is, within the next two years, is Francis Ngannou a heavyweight champion? To that, I would probably say yes. Maybe that starts on Saturday. I don't know. But but uh, I do think he is championship material, which is a separate question whether or not he beats Stipe on Saturday. But right now, at this very, I mean, look, by Friday, I could have a different opinion. Just, because it's hard, man. It's really hard to figure out what's going to happen here. It's hard to understand uh, just how, what kind of, you know, when you blast a guy out in the way he has, you don't get a lot of tape. You know, you don't really get to see him put through the ringer. So what we have seen from Francis has been nightmarish. And that Kimura he had on Anthony Hamilton was crazy. And you might say, well, if his ground game could do that to Anthony Hamilton, that's amazing. But, well, okay, Anthony Hamilton ain't Stipe Miocic. And Stipe Miocic can wrestle his ass off. And he could take a shot, too. So... It's hard to say. It's really, really hard to say. Um, but I'm going to lean ever so slightly at this moment towards Stipe. Uh, I've not seen this. Luke, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's when Francis does some grappling with Mohamed Usman. And two times Francis is on his back with Usman on top. Watch Francis explode to get up. Let's see. This is 340. I'm not going to watch the whole thing. 
Let's get to the training, boys. God, he is strong, boy. Let's see. They're pummeling inside. Just dunk, 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 dunk. I mean, this is light, light drilling. This is not really sparring. Let's see. So he's got a Kimura on Francis from side control. Yeah, and then Francis just stands up. Yeah, I can believe that. I wouldn't really be trying Kimuras on Francis, to be quite honest. Where I'm, and and um, if your base is not stable behind you when they explode like that, you should be able to move right to mount. So if I'm in side control, uh, okay, no, I've got one leg in between your legs, and I'm going to your far side arm to Kimura it. What happens is when they buck and roll into you to avoid it, that's when you just slide right into mount if you're really, really good. Um, harder to do against guys who are very explosive and strong. Obviously, this tape is a demonstration of that. But if it were me and I was Stipe, I'd be just ground and pounding. I'd be holding one hand, trying to move to a certain position that was kind of stable, and just slow elbows over and over, get him to submit to bad things, get him to explode to use those the big energy like that, drain him a little bit over and over again. I'd be tying him up constantly, man. I'd be firing underhooks constantly, constantly. Who do you think can fire underhooks? you know, more commonly throughout the course of a fight. Probably the guy with a wrestling background. Probably. But Francis Ngannou is such a fast learner and such a powerful puncher and such a good athlete. Maybe he's just a genius and a savant at this and he'll catch all that up. It's it's hard to say exactly, but you, you should always be careful about reading too much into training footage. All right, potential cyborg noons fight. Yes, hello, Luke. For the past couple of weeks, we've heard rumblings of a possible champion versus champion bout between Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. On this past week's MMA beat, you described the potential fight as being very, very competitive. I'd love to get your take on what makes this a compelling fight. I don't mean to sell Nunes short, or Nunes, however you pronounce it. I go both ways. But my initial thoughts are that, that she lacks most of the skills that made the home cyborg fight an interesting matchup on paper. Nunes doesn't have Holly's cardio, correct? Footwork, she has different footwork, but yes, I would agree. She doesn't have the evasive footwork, in and out. Or the threat of a head kick knockout. Uh, okay, while Amanda certainly is a powerful puncher, Cyborg looks to hit just as hard, if not harder, and has one hell of a chin. I feel she and Cyborg are somewhat similar fighters, but Chris is just a bigger, better version of Amanda. I, if I am horribly amiss on my assessment, please feel free to ask. I do not think you are horribly amiss. I am, I am persuaded by the uh, arguments that Misha Tate made. Misha Tate was describing what it was like to be punched by Amanda Nunes, and you have to listen to her talk about it to really get, uh, and, and, and maybe that is, I'm overemphasizing the effect that it's having here. But long story short, what her basic argument was, was that like, you know, she has sparred women before. She has sparred uh, plenty of men before as well in all, in all facets, right? I mean, she's, you know, she's been in a lot of gyms, and, and you know, she's fought a lot of women and, and grappled and sparred with a lot of dudes too. Uh, 12 ounce gloves, four ounce gloves, like the work. She sort of has an understanding of what the spectrum is like for the different phys physical demands as it relates to the opponent and the particular context. Are we grappling or wrestling? Do we have 12 ounce gloves? Whatever. And she was saying that she said, I have never in my life ever, ever been hit by a woman that where it felt like that. That it was totally on par with being hit as hard as, she, uh, as she's ever been hit by a man. Um, that the power was not just incredibly painful, right? When the shot landed, it hurt really bad and was damaging as it busted up her nose, but that the power was, it was such a shock, you know, to her psyche as well as her central nervous system that she didn't even know what to possibly do about it. 
You know, Misha Tate was saying she's been hit a lot of times. You know, uh, who put her lights out? Uh, was it Caitlin Young with the head kick and hook and shoot? Um, and she was saying never in her life has a woman hit her like that. Never. Now, to your point, big power is not all there is in a fight. There are things like footwork and cardio and other considerations. And if there was something to be noted there uh, in this fight with Cyborg as that this reputation she has as this bru bruising marauder, which we've talked about a lot, is really an outdated way to look at her. She has steadily worked on her technique to the point now where she has skills. She has she had this overwhelming force of nature before, but now she has skills. You know, she has footwork. She has head movement. She has a jab. Um, she has patience with her offense. She's got a diverse array of, of weapons. And so that has in some way made her less of a, you know, tiger mauls a deer kind of thing, but it has made her much harder to beat. And, and I take your points. Well, I mean, I, if you wanted to argue against Amanda Nunez's case, you've, you've addressed some great points. I just feel like on the other side, if you want to sort of look at the positives of this one is that I think that somebody with big power like Amanda might be able to mute or shut down some of Cyborg's offense or just get straight up beat by it. I do think Amanda Nunez has enough ability to knock out Cyborg. Fundamentally, I think that's true. Um, not whether that is in the end true, but that's my, my sense is that is absolutely true. On top of that, her cardio agree is not great, uh, but I, she would not necessarily get overwhelmed on the ground, at least early. And what you saw in the clinch with Holly was that Cyborg said eventually she wasn't worried about the double underhooks because she knew there was going to be no takedown. Uh, that would be a little bit different with Amanda. But the point being is I think even physically in close, she could match up with her. So your point probably is that, which I would agree with, that as the fight goes longer, it will probably become less and less competitive, to which I would agree. But I think those first three rounds, I stand by the argument. I think they would be very competitive. Very competitive. And if you saw the Arena Bars fight, what you took away from that was, you're right, Cyborg can take a hell of a shot, but it's also that if you can put some knuckles to chin on her, and that was also a bit of a skills issue there, but if you can put it on her, you know, you can shut her down a little bit. And a shutdown Cyborg, a lesser version of what she is, is a much more manageable task. So, again, you, you could pick Cyborg. I think that's fine, but we should take seriously the upsides of Amanda Nunes as well. Uh, Bellator UFC head-to-head. -head. Yes, sir. I'm kind of excited about it. Are you guys not excited about it? It feels like overkill. And But here's the good news. It, the good news is actually that those the, the top two fights, and there's a couple other ones on this UFC 220 card. Um, so the top two, then a handful of other ones are good. All the rest of them are, are not very good. It's not a good card. However, if you take the best of the main card, which is basically the entire main card for Bellator, and then you take the best of the UFC 220 card, you've got a great weekend of fights. A great weekend of fights. So looking forward to that. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, first let me